I have to be careful. I'm going to trip over something and fall over the chair. It, it is a delight to, to be on this end uh, and have the opportunity to speak and share God's word. It's a little intimidating, though. I, I don't know why. I was a senior pastor for eight years, and, and part of me loved doing that, and other parts just thought, why am I doing this? I, I don't, put me back in children's church. So, so I brought my object lessons. So you're in children's church. There'll be Kool-Aid and a, an Oreo cookie at the back. <laughs> Yay. Hey, just let me, how many of you were ever in children's church? They're here now. Yeah, all right, children's church. What a wonderful thing. I did it for 17 years. Oh, man, I'm so, I was so, ti- so tired sometimes. But you get great adventures being in children's church. You get to do object lessons. So I brought an object lesson for you. It's in here. I cut the grass, mowed the grass on uh, Friday. And I don't have a great yard, but I got a pretty good yard. It's, um, it's mostly green. And this, this morning I had a skunk in it, which is another story. But um, the other day when I was mowing the grass, I noticed there was a dandelion. Now, if you're a, I'm not obsessive with uh, the lawn, but I don't like dandelions. I don't, I don't mind the little yellow flowers. I, I like color. But this, I don't like. It's, it doesn't go with the green of my lawn. And so I, I, saw, I saw it as I was mowing the grass. I was getting closer to it. You know, you, I do the, uh, the, the, the increasingly small rectangle. I don't know how you do yours, but that's how I do But I noticed I was getting closer to it. And I wasn't paying much attention, but after a while I thought, I think I ran over that dandelion. I went, looked back, and there's no white puffball in my green lawn now. I went, yes, I dealt with that rascal. And that, that'll show that I won't be seeing that dandelion again. Now, those who laughed, <laughs> what happens when you run over a dandelion with a lawnmower? It gets everywhere. I did a little research about dandelions. So this is, you're going to get the benefit of my research. I'm not a good researcher, but I Googled dandelions, okay? Dandelion, how many seeds in a dandelion? Between 100 and 150 seeds. Each one is very small. Can you see that? I'm, I'm shedding them right now. And if you run over it with a lawnmower, here's, here's what you do. <laughs> you scatter 100 to 150 new dandelion plants on your yard, or if you're lucky, it blows it in the neighbor's yard, but you'll get, they'll get you back because one of these days the wind will shift and it'll blow over, their dandelions will blow into your yard. If I run over a dandelion with a lawnmower and look back and there's no dandelion there, I can say to myself, I have eradicated the dandelion problem, but I'm kidding myself. Because dandelions are going to be coming back. They're unstoppable. Now, what's that got to do with anything in church? Well, today, everything. We're going to look at the unstoppable church. Research has shown in in this past year that a number of churches are struggling because of the pandemic. Churches are closing. Churches are struggling with people coming back. It's estimated that a number will never be in existence after this is all over. So, is that it for Christianity? 
It's all gone. No. Individual churches may struggle, but God's work, God's church, his people, the bride of Christ, the church that Jesus said, Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, will, well, like these dandelions, it just gets replanted. It just keeps growing. And that's what we're going to look at in the scripture today, an unstoppable but transplanted through difficulty, trial, suffering, but nonetheless an unstoppable church. And I will read, I'm reading it from the NIV, so you can either follow along here. Now let me give you a little bit of a story, background, and let me get my sermon notes, which I nearly forgot because I changed Bibles at the last minute and almost left my notes. It would have been a real short, short sermon, so you missed out. After Jesus Christ was crucified, he rose on the third day, and for 40 days he was with the disciples, and then after 10 days, Pentecost came, and he, his, he by his spirit came to live in individual believers. He said to the disciples before, on the night before he was arrested and crucified, it is better that I go away, for if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will be with you forever. God has been with you, me, in, in, in Jesus Christ. Now he's going to be in you. He said in John 14, I think it's verse 23, he who hears me, he believes my word, my father will come to him and I will come to him and make our home with him and we'll be in him. The spirit of God lived in, lived in those early believers and he lives in you and me. That is glorious news. And the early church in Acts starts describing it in Acts 2. It says the, those who believed in Jesus, who trusted him as Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost, what, 3,000 people believed? Not a bad day's work. But it was because God was still at work through Peter, through the disciples. And the early church was characterized by devotion to preaching, devotion to prayer, love for one another, caring for one another, and ministering to people and sharing the gospel in such a way that many people came to Christ. It was a glorious time, and for several years, though there was some opposition in Jerusalem from the same people, same guys that hated Jesus and crucified him, were not real happy about the apostles preaching, saying that Christ was risen from the dead, that he was the Messiah. But with a, a little bit of persecution, a couple of arrests, some threats, they kept right on going. And then in Acts 7, we hear that a guy named Stephen, uh, probably what we would call a deacon and, and an evangelist and faithful servant of the Lord, was arrested on false charges. They claimed that he was blaspheming against the law of Moses and saying that the temple was going to be torn down. And, uh, and he, when he was given the opportunity to make his defense, said, basically he said, you guys are just like Throughout Israel's history, you've been resisting God. You resist. You crucified the righteous one, the God that the one that God sent, and it made them furious. It, you know, uh, you can sort of understand their point of view. They were being accused of crucifying the Messiah, which they had done. They were guilty as dogs or cats. I think cats are more guilty than dogs. But then um, <laughs> Stephen gave the invitation by saying, "Look." I see heaven open, the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And it says they put their hands over their ears and ran at him and grabbed him and dragged him out of town and stoned him, put him began to put him to death. 
And so this is where we'll pick up in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. You got that? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I think this is a general way for saying the last guy with the last rock came up and plugged him right in the head. And that was all for Stephen on this earth. And Saul was there. We'll get acquainted with him next week in part two of the Unstoppable Church. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply. I think the ESB, if you have that, says they they raised a loud lament. They were grieved, and they expressed it very vocally. They mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Peter, I'm sorry, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Great suffering in Jerusalem, great joy where the gospel was spread next. When I say that the church is unstoppable, I mean this, that the work of God will always triumph in this world. Though there will be suffering and there are setbacks and there are unexplained, unexplainable, at least un with hard for us to understand things that happen to individuals who love Jesus and to churches that are trying to faithfully serve Jesus. It is a reality. But I want to remind us, like some of those songs that we sang, like I was talking with Roger a couple of, before the service, Jesus Christ triumphs. We are like those who read the end of the story and say, oh, God wins. But for now, they're suffering. So I want to talk about how to be the unstoppable church, how how to be a part of that. First of all, the unstoppable church is a battered church, a suffering church. You see that in Stephen's martyrdom. You see that when it says in verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That was real suffering. It's easy, easy for us to think because it says it so, you, you move so quickly through this reading it, and you go, they got persecuted, and they left, and they shared the gospel, and people got saved, and it was great. Yes and no. Yes, there was great joy. Yes, there was triumph. Yes, there were faithful people who served the Lord, but there was also tremendous suffering. A couple of things it says here. First of all, the church suffered loss. The church suffered loss. It says that they were scattered. Everybody except for the apostles. Here's what that means in reality. They didn't put signs in their yard and get multiple offers <laughs> on their houses. No, no. They cleared out because they knew people who had been taken in the middle of the night. There would be 
a knock at the door or the door kicked down and soldiers would come in from sent by the priest and this guy named Saul who was a zealous persecutor and says men and women would be dragged off to prison. What about the children? Interesting that. I've been reading, or not been reading, I read it during the pandemic a couple of months back. This is a book by Sabina Wormbrand. If you've ever heard of Voice of the Martyrs, you've heard of uh, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. They were Jewish people who came to Christ in their 20s and served Christ faithfully in the country of Romania. And then under the communist regime, they were, first Richard was arrested and then Sabina was arrested. He spent 12 or 13 years in prison. She spent four or five, I believe, in prison. They had at the time a son who was 12, 13 years old. And when Sabina was taken at night, she was just taken. What about my son? You should have thought of that when you were getting involved in this Christianity. And she didn't know what had become of her son. That was a reality for people who were persecuted. It was probably a reality for the church of those who were in Jerusalem. When, if, if men and women are dragged off, what about their kids? What about their friends? Families were scattered. Those that escaped, those that left, walked away from houses with, with what they could carry. All that was beautiful about the church in Jerusalem, you might say, came to an end. Not everything, but you know that sweet fellowship that they had, caring for one another, the friendships, the times of prayer, the times of hearing the word. It was... It was It was lost. Those who knew and loved Stephen, some people came and took his body and buried him, and they mourned deeply. This is a man who had helped to take care of widows, who had served the church, who had faithfully witnessed for Jesus. And he's dead, unjustly accused, and put to death by the rulers of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. What a bitter disappointment. Finally, there was fear, wondering if you would be next when someone came and knocked on the door and said, are you a believer in Jesus or not? You could tell the truth or you could lie, but it was going to be difficult. So there was suffering. And the church is good to remember. An unstoppable church is still a battered church. We do suffer. Individuals, believers in Jesus, personally, whether you get driven out of town by persecution or just have to go through trials, there is suffering. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you're going through. Don't be surprised. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, reminded his disciples, You'd be, you'll be, you're going to be hated by a lot of people. Don't be surprised. I'll be with you, but remember, don't expect it to be easy, soft, comfortable. Don't expect to be popular and successful all the time because you're a Christian. That probably won't happen. In our society, there may come a time when we're persecuted violently, but more often now, that opposition, that attempt to destroy the church, uh, it manifests itself in some different ways. <clears throat> uh, there's another book I got at a used book sale not long ago called Finding God at Harvard, and it just has 
faculty members and former students and people who have attended Harvard University, one of the great universities in our country. And uh, all of them experience God in some way while they're at Harvard. And one of, one of the articles was written by a guy named um, Todd Lake, who is now a pastor. When he was a freshman there, in 1982, Mother Teresa was invited to speak at the church there on the campus at Harvard University, and so she spoke, and he was not a Christian at the time, but he went to hear her. She's pretty famous, and Mother he says, Mother Teresa spoke incessantly of Jesus. I mean, incessantly, and yet, he said, in a triumph of masterful edit editing, Harvard Magazine, when, he, when, it, when it was reported about what Mother Teresa said, gave almost, put in almost everything she said, except there was not one word about Jesus. And he said, that's remarkable. It seemed like that was the most important thing she talked about. And yet when Harvard Magazine reported on what she said, not a word about Jesus. That is an attempt to suppress the truth to destroy the church. If not by violence, then just silence, just suppression, just ignore him. Maybe he'll go away. The unstoppable church will always be, in, at times, a battered church. But also the unstoppable church is a scattered church. Satan's plan implemented by this guy named Saul, was to destroy the church. That was his intention with persecution, with scattering the church. And if you were a Jewish leader who desperately wanted this, this stuff about Jesus being the Messiah and rising from the dead and, and being the one who died for the sins of the world, you wanted that to go away. And with persecution... They looked around the lawn of their cultural landscape, their religious landscape, and said, Whew, we took care of it. We have gotten rid of Christianity. They're all gone. That was Satan's plan, but God had another plan. God was at work. I thought of that beloved verse in, at the end of Genesis 50 where J uh, not Jacob, but Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, had been <clears throat> betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, taken down to Egypt. And when his brothers had to come there to get food, he was the guy who was in charge, Joseph was. And they thought, we're in such a heap of trouble. But it, they weren't in trouble. He provided for them. Later on, when their father died, they came to Jacob thinking, I mean, to Joseph and said, now that our father's dead, we're in trouble. Jacob will get, get revenge now. And they came and fell down. Oh, we're so sorry about what we did. And he says, don't, don't be afraid. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And I would say the same right here in the book of Acts. And I would say the same about some of the things that go on in our world and in our life. Satan may mean it for evil. Attacks may be painful, but God is willing, able, wanting to use it for good. He is unstoppable. And he lives in us and he lives in his church. God is the one who sometimes allows the church to be scattered. 
I did uh, just a little bit of Greek study the other day. I'm not a big Greek jock, but I did look up that word scattered. And this one is, is diaspero. It comes from two words. Spero, which is the word in Greek for to scatter like sowing seed. It's often used when it comes to uh, what, a, what a farmer does. And you're, you're familiar with the story, the, the parable of the four soils, where it says a soil went out to sow the seed, and as he scattered same similar word, sparrow, but diaspora means to scatter throughout, dia, across or throughout, all around. And it's interesting that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says the church was scattered like seed, scattered all around. What happened when the disciples were scattered? Look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. <clears throat> and then it says about Philip, just let me give you one example, Luke says. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. That's what happened. With this trauma, with this disruption, because of the enemies persecuting the church, God scatters the church like seed. And wherever they go, they begin to be planted. They begin to share God's word. They tell the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection. They'll take the scripture and they go, let me show you. And they probably started out by going to the synagogue and they would go, let me just show you. Look over, look, they probably go back to the book of Genesis and look at uh, when Abraham went and sacrificed Isaac. Or at least he was willing to and God provided a substitute. They go, see that? That's just a reminder. That was an early foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, they would say. And they would say, whoa, he has borne our iniquities. He has our sorrows. He has carried away. The, 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 the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's about Jesus. And they would share their, what they had seen and heard. Many of these believers had seen Jesus when he has risen from the dead. They'd seen him do the miracles. They knew that he had died. They knew that he was risen from the dead. And they proclaimed him. Wherever they went, they were the seeds of the gospel scattered throughout that part of the world. God was at work. <clears throat> Some people, like Philip, had the gift, the opportunity for proclaiming Christ broadly the large crowds. Others, in a different way. And I think of uh, just one chapter over, a lady named Dorcas. She was a believer in the city of Joppa, one of those outlying probably 40, 50 miles from Jeru Jerusalem. It said in chapter 9, verse 36, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which means Dorcas or gazelle. Who, has, who was always doing good and helping the poor. How did Dorcas proclaim Jesus Christ? By kindness, by love, by helping the poor, by sewing. It says she sewed garments, she sewed clothes for poor widows, making Jesus known. And then even Philip, if you look at verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an official, an important official, in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
And Philip tells him about Jesus Christ. Turns out the guy just happened to be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and says, what is this all about? And Philip says, let me tell you. And explained the gospel. And so, after he was done, this Ethiopian eunuch, one little seed, goes down to Ethiopia, a believer in Jesus. God scattered his people who everywhere they went shared and lived his truth, his word. We, my brothers and sisters, need to be the scattered church. Now, I'm not saying we all ought to get out here and be persecuted, but think of it. We, we are scattered every week. When we leave here today, we'll be scattered all throughout Knoxville, even broader than that. Some folks here from West Tennessee, you said, you're going back to West Tennessee. We're scattered people this week. And we gather back together. We are scattered week after week. What are we supposed to do? Just like grade schoolers, show and tell. Show Jesus Christ living in us. Tell what he has done for us. Speak about him. We ought to be the scattered church. Sometimes God moves his people in different ways. A few of us, no, a number of us, were part of this church as children or college students. I started going to Calvary Baptist Church in 1974. That's a while ago. I can't do the math that quickly anymore. But uh, Calvary has been for many years a place where college students come and get plugged in and grow in their faith. And I wish they all stayed sometimes. I mean, I, I love it when I get to know people in our church and we have fellowship, but it seems like God is always moving people out. College students graduate and they go somewhere else so often. High school, high school guys, girls, you graduate and what happens to you? You go off to school or the world changes. You know, life is always in the process of changing. The world is being reshuffled, it seems like time and time again. And when God scatters us, what should we do? We should be his light. We should be his seeds for the church wherever we go. The church is to be a scattered church. Sometimes those times when we were scattered are exciting. I must confess, when I graduated from college, I wanted to leave Tennessee. I had lived here all my life with a few exceptions of short times away. And I wanted to leave. I wanted to see someplace else. Well, it was an exciting adventure. And uh, by God's grace, I... Uh, was able to come back twice. I've been sent somewhere else and came back. And, uh, but each place, I continue to serve the Lord. I know that uh, that's my hope for those who are high school students, college students. You may be here, you may be like me, an old dude one of these days, still at Calvary Baptist Church, but you probably will be scattered. When God scatters you, there are some things that need to happen. First of all, I think what is said here about the early church, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. God's word was always central to them. God's truth. They studied. When they had been in the church in Jerusalem, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were in the scripture. They were hearing God's word. They were putting it 
seeking to put it into practice so that when they got transplanted, what did they do? They kept sharing God's word and they kept trusting God's word. They were like scattered seed. But not only do you need to be devoted to the scripture, you need to be connected to God's people. It's interesting that uh, not only does the word scattered refer to sowing and is applied to the church being scattered like seed, but Jesus also used it to, uh, to, to be applied to sheep. He said, what the scripture says is going to happen. Strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That was when he died, they all were at least for a short time, scattered, disheartened. Then he also used that term when he spoke in John 10 about the good shepherd. He said the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep, but a hired hand, when the wolf comes, the hired hand runs away, and the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. And that got me thinking, when life is disrupted, when you graduate from high school and some of your friends go off one place or another and you're disconnected, you have to kind of start over in relationships. Are you going to be a scattered seed or a lost sheep? And when you get a job and move someplace else, are you going to be a scattered seed or a lost sheep? And when we get older and things change and we don't have the energy that we have or we don't do the ministry we used to be involved in, are we going to continue to be his seed wherever he put, puts us, or are we just going to drift? And I think it is a reality that not every, I don't think, I know it's a reality that not everyone who goes through change, who is scattered physically, connects to other people who are believers. Not everyone continues in God's word. And it's possible, it's dangerously possible that you and I can drift physically or emotionally or spiritually, so that we are hearing the scripture less and less. And we are not connected to other believers like we used to be. And therefore, we drift. And the voice of the good shepherd is dim and less and less discernible because God speaks so often, most often, through his word and through his people. So when we are scattered, please remember Stay connected, get connected, get replanted with other believers. And trust and be devoted to and love God's word. To hear it, to read it, to apply it. The unstoppable church is a battered church because it goes through suffering. A scattered church because God moves us to plant and replant his truth. But it's also a spirit-filled church. When it says that the believers went out and shared the word wherever they went, it's interesting the two words, it says they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And immediately I thought of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, just before you ascend into heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. and You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They've already done that. And all Judea and Samaria. Ah, that's next. Those who are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, preached the word wherever they went. The unstoppable church, and, and, and they, they, the reason they were bold, the reason they were courageous, the reason they shared word, the word is because the Holy Spirit was fulfilling what Jesus said he would do. 
given him power to be his witnesses. And he will give us power to be his witnesses day after day in our actions and our words. Not only was it a church that shared the gospel boldly with the help of the Holy Spirit, God worked through the believers in a variety of ways. It says there in verse 6 how Peter not only shared the word, but he saw they saw the miraculous signs that he did. They paid close attention to all he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed. God was at work. Does he always do that in every church? I haven't seen that or experienced that. But God is a God of, uh, who, who is always at work. He works to draw people to Jesus. He works in answer to prayer. There's no limit to what God may choose to do. But he's the one who must work. And this is so important to remember. The church is his church. And he inhabits it. He lives in his people. We Believers in Jesus Christ are the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his his appeal through us. So God is at work still in his people. As we worship today, as you teach a Sunday school class, as you are out scattered throughout the world this week, God, Christ lives in you if you're a believer in him. and And he has a desire to work through you. What we have to do is surrender to him, be submitted to him, trust in him, lean on him. He's always with us. Last, last word is application. Here are some suggestions for you, some appeals for you, for me. When we are battered and when we are scattered, remember that our citizenship is in heaven. That is our true home. That is where our eternal reward lies, which cannot be stolen, lost, or destroyed. That is where Jesus Christ is, our King, the King of glory. And Paul said to the Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our mortal bodies to be like his glorious body by the power which he has to subject all things to himself. We, we song, sang a song just a few minutes ago. We are looking forward to Jesus Christ who will reign forever and ever and we will be with him. And that's part of what makes it possible for us to live in a world that is battered in a church that is scattered. We know Jesus Christ and he lives in us. And our hope and our home, our citizenship and our reward and our Savior are all in heaven. So remember where you, where you belong, where you're headed. The second thing I think we ought to do in light of the church, that, that the church is to be a scattered church, is to pray that God will send laborers into the harvest field. Parents, pray that God would send your children as they graduate, as they empty the nest, as they go, maybe get moved away, as they enter marriage, as they go forward in life, pray that God would send them. Let's pray for our church regularly. Remember, your brothers and sisters are scattered throughout the city, throughout the state, throughout the country, week by week. Pray that we may be 
what the world needs, the light of the world and salt of the earth, a witness for Jesus Christ. Pray that God would open up a door for his word and that we would live in such a way that we show and tell about Jesus Christ. Pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest field. Lastly, keep on staying in the word. And I just brought one, one other book here. I actually brought two. I never got to that one. This is one of my mom's Bibles. She passed away just about a year ago during when the pandemic was just starting. And, but I, I, I looked at, she had a bunch of Bibles. Most of them had more things underlined than were not underlined. She just underlined everything, usually in red. Kind of, kind of funny. This is not one you could take to the used book sale, okay? This is Max Lucado's inspirational study Bible, or one he was general editor, editor for. She not only underlined most of the scripture, most of the notes in the margin, she underlined as well. But I, I, got it, I brought it for this reason. The last three years, two years of her, I can't remember, a couple of years of her life, she was in assisted living. And yet, when I would go visit her so often, I would go there and find her sitting there with her Bible on her lap, reading it. And she would say, I've got the opportunity to lead the devotional at the women's small group at my church next month. And I'm already starting to think about what I'm going to share. And she'd be reading Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers and something from Scripture. And even into her 90s, she was still studying and teaching God's Word. And after she passed away, and I, we went through her belongings and divided up some of her things, I, I wanted to have one of her Bibles as a reminder of her faithfulness to study, to try to obey, and to keep on teaching God's Word. Even when they had to have someone come and help her get out to the car with her walker or sometimes put her in a wheelchair to get out to the car to go to the, the, the women's group that she was sharing the devotional at. She was faithful. And I thought, that's a legacy my mother left me. May we be faithful. As we have a time when we're going to have a, an opportunity to just pray. And maybe you'll want to come forward and pray here for your children or for the students that you know that are now scattered <laughs> Hopefully most of them will be back in the fall, but they're all scattered. And we, as brothers and sisters, are scattered throughout the week. Maybe you want to pray, Lord, send me out this week. Send my brothers and sisters out this week so that wherever we go, we're seeds, sharing God's truth, his light, his love, his grace for the world that needs to know Jesus Christ. I'll give you an opportunity to pray just where you are. Jesus, would you hear us as we pray? Would you send us, scatter us, but protect us as we are scattered so that we're not lost sheep, but we are seeds planted and bringing joy and life and grace.